0: Welcome into episode 87 of the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes, and thank you so much for being a part of this week's episode. This week's episode is a first. We have never done this in House of L history, but this is a collabo episode. Michelle McMahon is my guest. If you don't know who Michelle McMahon is, you weren't paying attention during Blackhawks games over the last couple years. She did sideline reporting on those games, and we talk about why she's not doing sideline reporting for them anymore. You can see her on Big Ten Network for sure, and she has her own podcast, which is what we will get to as far as the collab part of this thing. We sat down, and initially what happened was Michelle had asked me to to be on her podcast. And I was like, absolutely. She does a great podcast. You can search for it. As a matter of fact, you should search for it because it's the companion piece to this podcast, this particular episode. And she came to the Score Studios, and I said, we should do a home-and-home because I've wanted her on House of L., so we're sitting there in the studio and we're just talking and talking and talking. And we were trying to figure out how we were going to do this. If we were going to just take all of the audio and just release it on each one of our sites. If we were going to take turns, like I'd ask a question and she'd ask a question. But what ended up happening is we just kind of had a conversation And then I went back and did a little editing magic and made her part of the podcast separate from my part of the podcast. So that's what we ended up doing here. I get part one. She gets part two. So I'm going to interview her in this episode and you'll hear about her career and how she rose and all of that stuff. And then in part two, she turns the tables and you'll hear it at the end of part one. And she did a great job interviewing me. And honestly, in part two, I, I talk about something that was really painful and something that I haven't talked about at all. I don't I don't think I've ever talked about it publicly. So you can hear all of that stuff on her end of the podcast. So that's the collaboration. It's really one conversation. I took my half. She took her half. Her half right here that you're getting ready to listen to is pretty damn great. She is extremely interesting, has one of the best voices in the business. And what she went through to kind of stabilize herself from a a mental health standpoint, I think is something that is worth you listening to. So I bring you episode 87 from the Big Ten Network, from her own podcast, the Michelle McMahon Podcast, here is my buddy Michelle McMahon, and we start out talking about how she is now taking acting classes, and I wanted to know why is that the case?
1: Well, I wanted to diversify, as I told you, and I feel like I have the personality as an actor, actress of like. I have always, growing up, done, like, the impersonation voices. Like, when I was little, like, I did Lou Holtz, like, to a T. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, my mom would be, like, at the Thanksgiving table, like, give them the Lou Holtz. Tell us. Show us. Um, so, yeah, ever since then. But then I've also been told that I have a good voice for stuff like that. And I just – it's kind of fun. It's just fun to – I think it's always good to be learning, too. That's the other thing that I wanted to just continue to expand upon what I've done. Like, like the world is – there's such – a uh, vast amount of opportunity, if you choose to see it that way. So I just I think it's kind of a uh, fluid, I guess, transition of like incorporating both into what I'm already doing.
0: So, what have you picked up from your classes, whether it's voice classes or acting classes, that you feel like is like a did a light click on? And you're like, oh, that, oh. I should be doing that more even when I'm being a sportscaster.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if there was like a moment in time that I was like, ooh, yeah. But I guess I don't know if it's as early as like growing up, I watched Disney Pixar movies nonstop. I think that's like every little kid probably, at least in my era. And I don't know if it was as early as that, that like being the voice behind the characters is kind of always a fascination for me. And then to actually think that I could maybe do that one day, I'm like, I'm putting, that's like the big, big goal of like, if I could be a Disney Pixar movie character, I know they only hire like famous people for that, but hey, anything could happen. I was like, I could be like a cat or something or like,
0: sure. You never know? know what happens on an audition. Yeah.
1: So I think that's just kind of like the inspiration behind it. And also like, I think there's such a magic when you pursue things and I'm sure it was the same way for you with. Um, getting into this is like when you have that natural innocence of like it's just fun it's just a fun spark of passion for you I really feel like that's when things open up like that's what happened with my sports career and I know with acting it's not like I've gotten anything necessarily and it's I'm not doing it because I'm like I have to make a living doing this I'm doing it because it's like fun I think I could be good at it I think I could maybe get you know something here or there
0: but my good friend Maggie Hendricks has been doing some of that stuff. Really, and she loved it. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and she met a lot of famous right. people in her class. Oh
1: my gosh, cool! Yeah,
0: she she wouldn't tell me who, but she said one of them was a very famous, a very famous um, author that does like no the kidding. not the I'm trying I can't even remember the name of the books, not the Twilight books, yes, oh. but something similar in scope.
1: Okay. not like And Harry popularity?
0: Potter. No, it wasn't oh, okay, J.K. Rowling, okay, okay, okay. but but it was it was, it was someone <laughs> cool of was. like that level was in her class. That's cool. Where was she taking class? You I know? think she was at I think she was at the improv. Okay. That she was taking classes there and enjoyed it. I love she it. She really she got something out of it too. I love it, which is good. Can we talk about your sports career for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. And volleyball.
1: Then, yep. 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 Played volleyball at Michigan. I was a walk on. And that was a a very defining experience for me. I was very humbled (laughs) for four years. Why? Because a couple of reasons, right? Like, number one, you're used to being the best when you come from high school and you're not the best that's kind of an arrogant thing to say but like you're of the upper tier in your area wherever you come from and you then you probably to... had
0: offers to go other places i'm guessing
1: you know what i didn't think i wanted to play volleyball in college like i didn't even put any like feelers out there like i did it for fun like a lot of my um breaks have come because i've like i just do things for the uh because it was fun and my club coaches actually went behind my back, because I wanted to go to Michigan. I'm a fourth generation. I was brainwashed. And now that I've seen all the big-time campuses, I'm like, I think I would have brought in my perspective a little bit. But not to throw shade at Michigan. I love my experience. But <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin, I think I would have went to Madison or went to Wisconsin if I had a choice. But, I, I, again, I mean, it was in my backyard. I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan. But uh, to your point, we're, what were we talking about?
0: Talking about, about you.
1: Oh, yeah, my club volleyball coaches reached out to the Michigan coaches and said, like, hey, we have a girl that's, like, smart enough to get into Michigan, you should look at her for the volleyball team, we think she's good enough to play, and then um, got offered a preferred walk-on spot, but then after, like a week after they offered that, it was like off the table, because they maybe were going to offer it to somebody else, and that was after the point that I was like, no, okay, I'm going to play volleyball at Michigan, and then they were like, wait, maybe not, so I was like, Ugh, crushed before I got there, and then a, a week later, they re-offered it again, so it was a little bit of a rocky start there as is, but um, but yeah. So being a walk-in was a challenge. You're not getting paid to do the amount of same amount of work. You're just doing it out of straight passion. You're not always given the same opportunities as the scholarship kids. Mm-hmm. You're very tested in terms of how you're treated. It depends, it depends who your coaches are. But, yeah, it's definitely a, a good life experience.
0: So what was the moment in these four years? You stuck with it for four years. Yep. As a walk-on.
1: I almost quit. I was wow. so close. I, after my junior year, I was convinced. But there were there were some situations that happened, and I was like, Mom, I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I worked as a sports psychologist for four years. Like, I was borderline. Like, that's a lot of the premise of, of the podcast that I would love to pick your brain on, too. Um, that's why I'm so passionate about mental health, and I have such an empathetic perspective of what these athletes are going through from a mental perspective because it's – a lot of pressure, like not only from the outside, but I think, too, for that kind of person that it draws to Division One athletics. And I know you've talked to a lot of athletes on your show. I've listened to them. But it's like that internal pressure that these kids put on themselves, kids, adults, whatever it is, that it's like your uh, threshold of failure and success looks different than that of a student that doesn't necessarily play a sport in college. It's just it's a lot to handle. But, Yeah.
0: Did you have, when you're sitting down and, and talking with a sports psychologist, did you have a breakthrough? Was, were you looking for, I, I just need to be okay with not playing anymore? Or were you trying to figure out, should I keep playing? That's
1: a good question. Um... It was less about the like playing time if we're looking at it from a literal standpoint. But I think for me that my time with actually I should clarify, he says he's not a sports psychologist. I call him a sports psychologist because he's not technically licensed as a psychologist, but he's he's um has a master's degree in social work. Actually you should talk to him. He worked with Tom Brady, Desmond Howard, all the like Tupper tier, upper tier people. I he's my favorite. He's right. my I'd love to talk being. to
0: him. I got one of those at home. My yeah. wife is has a master's in yeah. social work.
1: Oh yeah, so she gets it. Oh yeah, she, she gets, gets it, it, and she's seen it, and she's yeah. So I think my biggest breakthrough moment with Greg was it doesn't matter what my external circumstances look like, what my current challenges at that time, as long as like I am one hundred percent confident and true to who I am, and like that self awareness piece is power. So the more I could get closer to the truth of who I was as a person through that experience, through all the heaviness and all the, you know, the anxiety and the depression that I for sure had that I didn't know I had in college through just some of the messaging you get from the authority figures you're taking in a lot and you're not good enough and you're not one bad practice means you're a bad person. You know, there's so many areas that your, your mind can go when you're in a, you know, in a very mendable moment in your life, 18 to 22 years old. So I think the biggest breakthrough, was First of all, learning myself better than anybody else. And then second of all, what made me stick it out was like, okay, if I quit early, then then they win. I want to stick this out because I know I'm good enough to be here. And I also want to pave the path for the people behind me in, in that way of like proving that you can do it. You can set your mind to anything and you can do it. And like, it's not allowing the outside to have any extra power over you than you give them credit for, which has been a repeated lesson for me in this, I mean, everywhere.
0: When you get to the end of senior year, mm-hmm. what what did it feel like to be like I accomplished this?
1: Oh, it was like a huge weight off of my shoulders. I didn't think I could do it honestly. Like there there were some points there that I was it was more of a mental thing than anything else like and physically like I would I was performing at a level that I was just like so far in my head that I knew I wasn't performing my best. That was really like freshman year. Senior year I kind of came into my own a little bit. It was more of like uh, a sense of freedom in that like I not only accomplish that, but I have a stronger sense of who I am and like I don't have to answer to anyone anymore about what I can and can't do and, and what my belief system should be and, and what I think of myself I don't need to listen to the outside voices. I only need to listen to to my inner voice. And that's something I think that was the most powerful part of that experience of like, okay, if I can get through that, I can get through anything. Like I can literally, nothing today has been harder than my volleyball experience. Like no boss has been scarier. No, like nothing has measured up to that, the challenges that I felt in that moment. It's been close for sure. But like, I think that's the freedom of like, okay, like there's pretty much nothing that scares me in this world. Like I can do anything.
0: How good a feeling is that? It's awesome. It's awesome.
1: But really, like, it doesn't matter. Everyone can get that lesson in, in any way, shape, or form in life, right? It, mine came in the shape of Michigan volleyball. That was my biggest, like, unearthing moment of, like, you had to figure out where you are. Yours could be being from, you know, from where you come from and where you described in, in your podcast of, like, how you had to break free of some patterns that I know that a lot of people, you know, have— that program in their mind of like, this is the cookie this is where people usually go. Here's what, you know, that the breaking mm-hmm. the cycles. So it's like my lesson was Michigan volleyball and continues to be, because this industry is not easy as a woman. But um it's it's that uh continuously breaking the old
0: patterns. Patterns
1: of beliefs. And then like really having that unwavering belief in yourself that it doesn't matter like what you're doing, who you're doing it with, like as long as you're like. I, I like being in my skin more than anybody else, and like I'm cool with this. There's literally nothing like what what can shake you?
0: When did you know that you wanted to make a career out of this, that you wanted to to do sports and be on the sidelines and be on these campuses and be on the ice and all of this stuff?
1: Mm-hmm. Um my senior year actually of, of Michigan volleyball, so I saw one of my old teammates doing Big Ten Network volleyball broadcasting, and at that point, I guess for some reason, it never really occurred to me that these careers are out there. (laughs) Like, I was just... I was a communications and Spanish degree. I had no formal training, like none whatsoever. That's what when girls ask me my path, I'm like, don't do what I did. I do not recommend that. I I actually
0: like that, though. Well,
1: thanks. Yeah, no, it was my senior year. I saw my old teammate. uh, She was a volleyball analyst for Big Ten Network. And I was like, what? You could talk about volleyball and make money like on TV? What? That's a thing. Um, So that's that. And I think it was also like me finding my voice, too, in a way of like, I think a lot of people in this industry kind of navigate to it for different reasons whether you know it's a wide array but for me it was kind of also the like wanting to have the last word and like finding my voice in a sense of like having a little bit of a chip on my shoulder in that like okay maybe you know I wanted to prove myself extra if that makes sense but that can also get dangerous I caution people like when your why has to be very clear and well intended
0: so so where have you seen that go wrong for people
1: I think when it's the same, you know, similar lesson at Michigan Volleyball, when you wrap up your entire identity in what you do, and that's easy for people that are on air to do because you are praised. Your identity comes from this. People love you for you're the Lawrence Holmes that everyone listens to every day. Like you, I feel like do a really good job of separating that. And I would love to know more about how you diverge. So I'll probably turn this question back to you. But I think in my perspective, and you tell me what you think, I think it's when people get too caught up on the ego side of it where it's like this is everything. And then when one thing goes wrong or one contract doesn't come through, then who are you? You know what I mean? Like if you don't have a strong foundation to fall back on, I think that's where it um, it can go wrong. And if you don't have a strong why of like I do this because I love it and this and this and I can give back in this way and I can do this in this way and it's not all about you. That's where it gets – it can be slippery slope if you're on the other side of that.
0: The balance of ego is – What do you is, think? The, the principle that I try to work at and I kind of live by professionally is lift as you climb. I love that. Like I'm a big fan of it, and and I think that it, it makes things pretty simple. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of pride. Not
1: everybody likes to live by that rule though, which makes it challenging to navigate.
0: It, of our, like
1: who can I trust? Who can I trust? Like – you can usually sniff it out right away.
0: Absolutely. And in our usually, business, we yeah. see it a lot.
1: Oh, yeah. Especially with women. That's the other side of the coin where it's not just, you know, it's women on women of like, it's there's only so many roles and watching your back. And, and that part, I'm like, I took myself out of that race a long time ago. You know what? I was, but it's
0: so hard. I actually had a conversation with my wife about this. My wife used to work in the industry. She was a, okay. a radio producer at The Score and then she worked at Sirius XM Baseball. Uh, when they first started up. And I asked her about that because I've seen it. I've seen up close, like people that you would go, well, wait, mm-hmm. why are you why are you not championing yeah this? I it, it breaks my heart when I see it up close. Whether it's fear it's fear. That's that's a lot of it. What I do you think. think where where do you think that fear comes like I I think you're right. I think the idea of oh, well, there's only so many slots for this type of person or this type of person or a woman or, like...
1: Yeah. I think, well, I think fear is a lot of it, but also a scarcity mentality, too, because for a long time, and there still is less women than there are men in this industry, and this is not, like, a a plea cry of, like, you know, I'm not being a victim of the situation. It just is. Like, you look at the numbers, you watch a, a football show, it's usually you know, one female to every... You might go ten,
0: female host.
1: Every 10 dudes. and then, Maybe female hosts. Oftentimes the reporter role is what the female embodies. And if, with the exception of like ESPN, Sam Ponder on, yeah. on on that, or they, you know, there's a couple of shows Wendy like that. Nicks. But Nicks. Yeah, for sure. But the ratio, historically speaking, so I think it's too like the old paradigm, right? Like how, you, how do you change cycles? Well, it's the new people coming in and breaking those. But in order to do that, you know, because the people who mentored me, you know, come from a different mindset and then who I mentor below me is how I treat them and how I navigate the space. So that's how the cycle either perpetuates or stops. But I think historically speaking, like there hasn't been a ton of opportunity for women in sports and that's changing now. I think the narrative's shifting on that, but there's been a, um, you know, if I help this person, she's younger than me, she's prettier than me, her shelf life is Probably longer than mine. If I'm an older woman, I'm speaking of you know. If you're in your 30s, you're pretty much in your prime of your career for a woman. I don't think that's the same for men. That's another challenge. That's like a, a unique challenge to why a woman versus a man would be more reluctant to want to mentor somebody that's younger, better looking, going to take going to take my job at the end of the day. Because sometimes sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Like I I I've seen it both sides, but it's. It is an interesting dynamic that, you know, I've I've been always treated really well by, um, you know, the women in the industry that I've come up under and I've been fortunate in that scenario. But I have also been backstabbed uh, once or twice before, too, of like, OK, lesson learned, not somebody I can trust. And and it'd be like me reaching out and overextending me like, let me help you. You know, like here's here's how to navigate this. And then it ends up coming to bite you in some ways, too. So I, there's so many different dynamics that go into that. That's interesting
0: when that happens when you have a moment like that where you feel like you reached out your hand and then it got bitten off like what's that feel like for you
1: it's hard because you are so well intended or at least in that moment i feel like i was like trying to help somebody else out but when it's um you know repaid by the fear mentality or just the like the um competitiveness like the just I know our industry is competitive and we all sign up for it, but when it's like, what, what's it worth at the end of the day if you're just going to tear other people down in the process? And you can sense it, like, like the, um, you know, when it's genuine or not, but it doesn't feel good. But also, I do have empathy in that. Like, I know what it feels like to also be in fear of there's not enough jobs. There's not enough work. How am I ever going to make it? There's so many girls that want this job. There's so many pretty people out there that want to do what I'm doing. So I do, I can relate to that feeling because I felt the fear. I've just chosen to, to manage that in a different way.
0: I'm with you on that. I, I think that's probably like the thing that, that bothers me the most because I'm, I try to be about lift as you climb. Mm -hmm. Um, And to go back to the concept of ego, this is where it rears its head with me. I'm so proud of my team. I love that. Like, I look forward to, I joked about it when we were doing the nighttime show of graduation. Mm. You graduate from my show, and then you go on and you do whatever. And I'm really proud of, like, the people that have either interned on my show or I came into contact with when I was a producer like Nick Friedel, like Cassidy Hubbert. And I and I see them and I'm like I know I played a, a small role mm-hmm. in some of this. Like there's something that still Friedel came back uh we did a thing over at Channel 5 a, a couple years ago and he was like, "Yeah, man, it's weird. Like I'm on your tree." And then like that that is a warm feeling yes. when you can hear someone say that they appreciated what you did for them and took it and ran. Mm-hmm. The ego aspect of it outside of being proud is you feel like you have some wisdom to share or some answers to give people. And when you offer that and then it's rejected, you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Uh, I just guess I'll just go hang over here. I'll go hang out. <laughs> over here that kind of sucks but like thanks for
1: listening good talk
0: when when my team when they graduate and and as we're recording this like my ep tony who you met in the Mm -hmm. hallway he's he's graduating like he's leaving here he's going to start a new job where he's going to have more responsibilities and more money and more benefits and it's hard because i don't want him to go because i think he's great at what he does that's such a tribute to you though I, I mean, I, he doesn't have to be, but I'm all about kicking his ass out the door, <laughs> get out there and go explore. And whenever one of my people like move up, I'm so excited because I look at like what we've built and the opportunities. They were ready. Mm-hmm. Like they were ready when when the opportunities came up, they were ready. Mm-hmm. I'm very selective about who I will write a letter for. Smart. Because I want to know that you will do the work.
1: Well, you're putting your neck out for somebody. It's your reputation on the line.
0: Absolutely. And I've been rewarded far more times than I've been uh, let down by that process. And the hope is that those people then take portions of what we all did right and then pass it along to someone else and then lift them up Mm -hmm. and try and on and on and on and on. And it's, it's great when you see it bubble up and people have success. Like, you want, like, I want them to win. Like, I, like that's a team win. You know, like, yes. the, the team won because yes. Tony's going to go do this great new job. Like, what we do, we do it the right way because look at what Joe has become and look at what, you know, look at what... um Tony's gonna be doing now. Look at what Chris Tannehill has been doing now. Look at what Herbal, like all the people that have worked with me. Yeah. Look at what Laura Britt is doing now. Like that, that gets me fired up. Like I get I almost get emotional about it because my hope is that the people that I'm hanging out with know that I'm invested. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's not just talk. Like I'm I'm in it to help you. I'm in it to help you navigate some of the stuff that I went through mm-hmm. so that you don't have to. I'm here to help you with negotiating. Mm-hmm. And I, you and I were talking about this over a Stadium, how I want more women to advocate for themselves in the negotiation process, and it's difficult. It's super tricky. Because there are a lot of women that will be like, well, if I push this, they'll hire someone else.
1: Which happens. It does. A lot of people will take it for a lot less money.
0: Yeah. And that's – Scary.
1: Yeah. It's happened to me twice.
0: I can imagine. Can we talk about the Blackhawks thing? Is that is that a comfortable place?
1: We can go there. I'll keep uh I'll I'll navigate it with with where I'm comfortable.
0: <laughs> when when they decided that you weren't gonna come back, were you shocked?
1: Um, I actually yeah, because in April I was coming back. <laughs> so it was a it was a confusing situation for sure
0: cuz you 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 seemed comfortable like you seemed like you were having a good time and there was a good response to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, all those things are true for sure. There really wasn't any um yeah. You know what? There was the door was kind of left open on that. I didn't actually find out until um Twitter in um August that the decision had been made. So I had been t- I had been in limbo a little bit, kind of like they might be cutting the role. I wasn't quite sure. Not sure how far into this I'm supposed to go, <laughs> or not. But um so yeah, I was kind of just waiting it out, and also wondering what changed in a matter of a month. But it's, it's kind of the nature of the industry, you know. I am a freelancer, so I I do sign my my contracts per per gig. So
0: so uh, okay, then let's. I won't. I won't. I'm trying not to get. I don't want you to get in trouble, and I definitely don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I don't
1: what would get me in trouble in that scenario. I don't know. It was just a weird thing. I, I don't know if that's normal in the industry. You probably know better than me. What's your perspective on I, it?
0: I have I have a lot of questions. I can't I can't formulate a a conclusion until I would be able to talk with the powers that be on it because it seems like mm-hmm. that's a that's a position where you want someone to grow into it like it doesn't Mm -hmm. maybe magically happen in the first season that someone's there like Mm -hmm. it's something that you grow into and you get better and then there's a familiarity with how things work and how the organization works and the viewer Mm -hmm.
1: which I feel like in your we were like there you know getting to that point I think so too you know that's
0: why I'm like if you look at
1: the history of the role right it's been five different people and shuffling through that position um you know, it is it is definitely a tough group to jive in with. Players are great. Players are awesome everywhere you go, for sure. Um, but NHL is uh, another animal in terms of, um, you know, they're kind of old school as a league. So if you can interpret through the lines on that one. Um but, so- no, I mean, the relationships I made there were wonderful. I look back on that experience. That was a dream job for me. I was selling medical devices in 20, what was it, 2015 when they won their last cup? hmm 2015, and I pursued a happiness story. Um, I was not doing broadcasting full-time once upon a time, and then I realized I was super miserable in sales, and I hated it, part of the, part of the story of my sports career. And I was watching TV, and I was like, God, I really want to cover I, That's what I want to do. I want to work in sports. I want to be a part of the Stanley Cup winning hockey team. Um, you know, and coming back here, actually, I didn't come back for the Blackhawks to Chicago. I came back for Big Ten Network. So I was with NHL Network prior to that. I made it to the National Network in a lightning speed. That was kind of wild. But, anyways, so yeah, I wasn't just some girl they found on the street for the Blackhawks gig. It was, you know, I had a, a year of the National, you know, experience under my belt, and I was under the impression that it would just kind of be a seamless transition. There was definitely some bumps in the road, but as I figured out what the what the role was going to entail and how, um, you know, other members of the broadcast like to incorporate the role and um, understood different personnel and different personalities, um, yeah, I feel like in year three, I'm like, okay, I kind of know my place here. Like, I got it. Uh, this will be good. And so... <laughs> it's a it was a weird turn of events, but honestly, as I look back on it um you know it was internally stressful for me during that time because I never felt like I was good enough
0: hmm. so once you finally get word of it that it's going down this way, how do you how do you dust yourself off after that?
1: yeah, um, that's a great question, and this is the first time I'm actually talking about it publicly so interesting topic to navigate but I think for me was, um, you know, I had to step back and really evaluate, you know, sometimes what you want in life isn't always what's best for you. And if I'm looking at from a, you know, internal perspective, that job was a lot out of alignment for me in a lot of ways because of how I was talking to myself while I was embodying that role. So a lot of it was self-imposed. Other parts of it were definitely external Pressures, um, you know, but the way that I felt for the most part was I don't belong here. I'm not a key member of the team here. I'm just kind of there. So it's not the best feeling to be just kind of there, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of people. You didn't want team, to be
0: the wallpaper.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's not necessarily that I, you know, if that was my role, I'm a team player, then I embodied that, you know, I, I you know, welcomed that. With open arms, I still was a part of a you know great franchise here in Chicago. Who can complain being the the Blackhawks reporter? Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely it, to dust myself off was more just like. I think, you know, when we were talking about the ego, my ego probably was hurt more than me. Like, my inner state, I've never felt, like, more internally peaceful and happy, happier, if that makes sense. But my ego was like, no, that's a part of your identity. You need that job, like, to be relevant. You need that job to be important in this city. You need that job. And, and all these stories I was telling myself weren't actually true because I, when I look back on it, I was like, were you happy? Were you a valued member of the team? Were you always treated in the way that you wanted to? Not always. So you can't beg for people to see your worth, right? This goes in relationships, friendships, jobs. And if people aren't seeing your worth and that you're a valuable person as a human being just because you exist and also are a hard worker and all the other things, then you know, that's a life lesson. You don't you don't want that in your life, you know? If if it's not a I'm a big like energy person, I'm big on like spirituality and energies and Um, I had to step away and realize that some things just aren't a vibrational match. And that's a good – maybe it's a mental cop-out to be like, you know what? We were just – we're not the right fit for each other. Um, But I think that it was – it was – something that was hard for me for sure mentally of just like that the same stories that you tell yourself of like oh was I not pretty enough was I not good enough was what I said not good enough but I was like no you studied your stuff I talked to every player in that locker room I stayed in there extra you know just to make sure I understood the person that I was talking to that was like I think what I missed the most too is just the connecting with the human beings like I don't ever put these athletes on a pedestal I I I respect them tremendously for their abilities. I think it's wonderful that they can do the things that they do in front of so many people. But, like, I, that's why I started the podcast. Like, I want to do the deep digging. Like, I want to know you. Like, I don't care about—yeah, okay, the hockey stuff's cool, but, like, let's talk about you. Where do you come from? Like, what about your family? What about your girlfriend, wife? Like, I want to know the full person before I go out there and tell a story about so-and-so because I think that context really helps, and I don't think every— Person necessarily goes the extra mile to understand that when they're talking over a broadcast. And that was something that I was like, I can own that. I can bring that to the table and they're interesting conversations. So, like, yeah, I, I, I worked so hard on that. I mean, I would pitch like five in-depth stories, poor broadcasts, maybe two would get in. And that's part of the nature of the role, right? You know, it's reporting in hockey is unless you're between the benches, you're really. That was part of the argument of whether they were going to cut the role or not, Um or keep it, but it's hard to report from the Zamboni tunnel where you're seeing the game. Not even a, you know, not even from mid ice where you can actually get a perspective of what you're seeing. I wanted, I would really push to like be between the benches. I'm like, I don't care if I get hit with a puck. Like, I, I want to hear what they're talking about. Like, be able to get in the conversations. Um, Bring so the viewer closer. Yeah, and like I, Big Ten Network does utilize me in that way sometimes, which is super fun. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if I answered your question in that long-winded answer. No, of mine, you did, but it's um yeah, that was a that was a challenge. My ego was like latching on to that for so long like it was a big test too of like all this work for two years and we haven't even gotten to my health stuff like that's really what prompted me to come back here. Yeah. Um, I
0: saw you on Instagram talking about your hair falling yes. out and I was like, what a lot
1: of that was happening while I was working for the Blackhawks.
0: Get out of here.
1: I mean, it it was a culmination of a lot of things built up, and it just happened to be settling in at the time where I had just moved back to Chicago. Um, you know, this is home for me. Like, I love being here. This is, this is ultimately what I wanted to do when I started this career was work for Big Ten Network, and so I'm doing that basically, maybe not in the fullest capacity that I would love, but um, yeah, so I don't even know where to start with the health stuff, so basically... Uh, on the lifeline and the work line, here's what was happening in my life at the time that it all kind of came together, work and life kind of came up in a big bomb. But basically, one of my best friends passed away. So, OK, I'll back up from where I started in my career, and very Spark Notes version because there's a lot of details that are irrelevant at this point. Basically, I started in sales, volleyball, graduated, moved to Chicago, started in sales, selling freight to truck drivers. Didn't like that. Switched to medical device sales. Didn't like that. In the meantime, I was building my broadcasting resume because I had no experience. Big Ten Network didn't want to hire me in any other role than a volleyball analyst because that was what I played in college. Built up my reel, was doing stuff for free, internships where I could find them, any work. Like I remember my first football gig, I was like sidelined for a high school game and I don't think I spoke English in that broadcast. Anyways, so then sure enough, I built up this resume with Big Ten Network. I was like, let me do this digital show. I'll show you I can host, but also like... Hockey was like kind of my niche. I was like, let me just put these reports. I'll rep- produce it. I'll cut the highlights for it, blah, 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 the whole nine yards. So I end up doing this like mini digital show that I packaged for them and all that stuff and then made a reel from that. And that's when the Hurricanes found me, the Carolina Hurricanes down south, hockey team in Carolina for those that don't know. Then I made it to the NHL network. OK, so this is right when I commit to broadcasting. I, I make it to – I thought I made it when I got to Fox Sports South. I was like – I'm in. Like, this is great. Like, I was super happy to be there. Like, no complaints. And then a year after that, NHL Network came knocking. And so I got bumped to the uh, national level within two years, which was two moves. So I moved to North Carolina. Caucus Is that where they are? Caucus. yep. So in the life side of things, it was wonderful in the career side of things. But in the life side of things, when things are... Happening so quickly, and you're adjusting to a new role, and it's on television, and everyone's talking about what you look like. There's just so much stuff going on mentally that I think I just buried, like I just put it down, didn't even talk about it. So at that point, I moved to North Carolina, didn't know a soul, um, and then from there, moved up to Secaucus, New Jersey, without a soul. And the negotiation process was very tricky between Fox Sports South and um, NHL Network. I was told a lot of um, things that I'll keep. But, you know, for us off camera, but it's it was a very challenging situation, like some of the things that I was told, um, you know, that I wasn't good enough. I was not worth any bit of money that, that we were talking about. Yeah, like all a lot of things. So that's on the mental side of things. Right. So I'm moving to a new city. I'm moving to the national market. I'm not even sure what the heck I'm doing in this industry. I mean, I, I did know I was obviously good enough to make it to that point. But I was like, OK, learning on the fly, cutting my teeth. And then. um, From there, moving to a brand-new city, then I was, like, a year after that, Big Ten Network opened up an opportunity for me to come back home. And thank God they did that because also on the life side of things, in the midst of that move from North Carolina to New Jersey, one of my best friends passed away. So that was another key part of the, like, I think I was harboring a lot of internal stuff. Like, you can't on TV – have a breakdown or I mean, not that I would ever want to. Anyways, that's the stuff you deal with off air. But like you have to be so put together and perfect and look a certain way and, and just, on and on all the time. So I don't have my support system with me in North Carolina. I don't have any friends. I don't you know, it's just like literally my life was my job and I wanted it that way. I chose that for sure. But the the health side of things, what I'm trying my my lesson here is if you don't manage the things that are. Biting at you from an internal health standpoint, whether that's anxiety, stress, anything as little as like your stomach hurts when you eat, like little sign. Our bodies give us signs in whatever ways. And if you don't listen, it's going to you're going to get a God punch. You're going to get punched in the face and knocked on your butt if you don't start to listen to the little whispers of like, hey, I could use some intention over here. But, you know, when you're so zeroed in on your job and your worth and that's the only thing that I thought I was worthy of at that time in my life is like my job. So when my job didn't go well, it's like, oh, God, it's the same lessons I learned in Michigan volleyball. Greg would smack me over the head and be like, I I taught you this. Like You already know. Like, pay attention to how you're talking to yourself. So, um, OK, all the while we moved back to Big Ten Network. Um, I'm freelancing. That's when the Blackhawks thing came about. That was actually secondary and just kind of a, a, an awesome, you know, something that I was like, whoa, I thought this was like a dream of mine. And so my health really started to take a fall. So when I moved from NHL, or from Secaucus, New Jersey to Chicago, another mental thing that I dealt with again, it's like that not enoughness. Like you don't want to be too much, but you don't you're never enough. Like it's that constant like you don't want to overstep your boundaries, like stay in this box, but like then you're not enough. Like it's this constant back and forth, constant back and forth of like and then I had a lot of body image issues when I came back because I was like, oh, I wasn't skinny enough for NHL Network. I wasn't uh, I wasn't pretty enough. I, w- I didn't look like – Kelly Nash is one of my best friends. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous, one of the nicest people I'll ever meet on MLB Network. And I was like, I don't look like that. And I internalized these things instead of embracing what it was that made me different, my red hair, my pale skin – my curvy body, my athletic body, like, I'm not like your typical blonde, size zero, silent part. That's just not me, and it's never going to be me. And I listened to the pod- podcast with Kenzie that you had, and I loved that part of it, too. Um, so, yeah, all the while, my health took a hit, a huge hit. And thank God I was in Chicago and close to family because I hit another probably close to Michigan volleyball-esque low um, where I was just a – I was – I came back to a, what I thought was two different roles. Like, I thought I was going to be, like, embraced in, like – a different way than I was actually, like, where I was plugged in, if that makes sense. So I was like, okay, you're just not good enough. You're obviously, like, I'm a failure. You're this, you're that. All the self-talk that just gets going at destructive. you. Destructive. Yes. And so from there, I think I physically manifested. I had cystic acne on my face, um, which in television is one of the worst things that you could ask for. <laughs> would not wish that upon my worst enemy, even though I don't really have any enemies. But... Um, cystic acne. My hair was falling out. I all I wanted to do was sleep. I was so tired. I was irritable, like constantly. Like my mom would tell you, she was scared, probably for my life at some points in this time. Like there's there were some dark moments for sure. Like I would Facetime her and I'm like I had like literally huge bumps like on my neck, going through my jawline on my face, and then I'd watch back these interviews and I'd be like, oh my god, like horrified. It was like I was torturing myself from the inside and out. You know what I mean? It's like inside I'm like tearing myself apart, and then I'm watching it back. I'm like, oh my
0: god. And then that creates a cycle of you doing the same thing over and over mm-hmm. and over again.
1: Yeah, I had a lot going. I mean, I had leaky gut. I mean, I, I worked. I can't tell you. I threw thousands of dollars into my health products. I couldn't. Nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. They didn't know what like. Yeah, my hormones were all. They just nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. I mean, it was. My cortisol levels were through, the, were through the roof. My doctors were like, "You're stressed. You are stressed, and you need to stop." I'm like, well, I don't feel stressed. Like, I'm. What do you mean I'm stressed? Like, I'm. What do you mean I'm working seven days a week? Probably like took two off days during that time when this is happening per month. And, and so your body's
0: in fight or flight mode. Mm, yep.
1: Yeah, I think I'm rambling now at this point. But yes. So, no,
0: not at all. I. I mean, I've,
1: yeah, I. Yeah, it was bad, and my hair is like. Part of my identity too. I probably need to let that go because at some point it might turn white or gray, or whatever. But it was it'll like be awesome. When it'll it be does. awesome. I know. It was like it was so thick and long. It's back finally. Like my my hair is back. But like for two years, Lawrence, I have been so committed to my health. Like gluten free, dairy free, um, healing my gut. Like taking all these supplements, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on functional medicine doctors that can get me back to my full strength um but when i say like you have to take care of yourself equally from the inside out like sometimes you have to cut toxic people you have to t- cut toxic jobs you have to cut the toxic things that are also perpetuating the stories that you're telling yourself and so that for me was i didn't want to part ways with some of the things that i was really attached to that maybe were what i wanted people you know jobs whatever but as i the more i step away from it i see why it was a blessing and you know why, if you're spiritual, whatever you believe in, God, angels, you know, that nothing happens by mistake. It all happens the way that it's supposed to. And for me, like, this has been a really freeing time in my life. I've been the least, I, I guess my, my job side has been the least, quote unquote, um, stable, I guess. But for me, I have more than enough. And I'm like filling myself back up where I'm like, OK, I'm full strength again. I don't want to go down that path again.
0: When I watch you on Big Ten or if I happen to see what's going on with you on Insta, I see this vibrant personality, like, coming through my phone or coming through the television. Where does that come from after you get out of something like you just went through?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that's something, too, that, like, even when I was struggling, like, when it was time to turn it on, I was always really good at turning it on, even when I didn't feel like it. And a lot of it was genuine, too, in that, like, the rush of doing the job, like, the adrenaline, the talking to the athletes. Like, I do genuinely love that. It's just some of the outside stuff that really gets you down. Um, But uh, to answer your question, I think... i've always been like that i am one of four kids i have three siblings i'm the only one with red hair i was like i came out the youngest middle child and i was like (laughs) you will not forget about me i will be hurt in this family no surprise that i I had i for sure have middle child syndrome that's why i'm on television because i wanted the attention for sure one thousand percent uh but yeah no i mean i just like the more i've learned this always comes easier with time right like You just need to step away and remember what matters. And, like, my friend passing away, Mike Sadler, that was a huge, huge, like, life-altering thing that really put life into perspective for me of, like, I don't need to do sports broadcasting to be a relevant, worthy human being. But it's fun. So as long as I can do it, I'm going to do it. And when it goes, it goes. And, like, reframing that of, like, having that freedom of I can just be myself and that's enough for me. And I don't care who else agrees or disagrees. Obviously, my boss has to agree at some point. But even their feedback sometimes is not always, you know, what you want to hear. But as long as you're coachable and you, um, you know, you can enjoy that. I think the, the self-awareness is power. That's where that comes from of Greg forcing me to get to know myself, to really understand, like, what it is that makes me me. Um, you know, how to help other people feel that way. Like, I love connecting with people and, like, making them feel good, too. Like, when I'm interacting with people in their interviews, like, I want them to know, like, they have all of me in that moment. Like, that is um, connecting with people is just, like, I love it. Like, I do love the performance aspect of it. I love the energy of being around athletics and, like, also just the reminder of, like, this is life. It's supposed to be fun. We're not here to suffer. And if, you know, you do suffer, there's some moments that that happens. I've been through that as well. But, like, in the moments you feel good, like, spread that. You know, and like that's something that I've always been I feel like even when Michigan volleyball like I was the light of the team like I would always like make fun of myself or like make jokes or whatever. Like even when I, you know, like when you're not feeling up to it and that way it's like, you know, we're not here to be serious and angry and grumpy all the time. Like I think sports are just such a perfect platform to have fun and like that's when I'm my fullest when I can be my fullest self accepted as such and really accepting myself as such.
0: The All more. right, check your time.
1: Oh my gosh! Ah, okay, we still got time. Okay, but I feel like now I've been doing most time. We got to turn it back to you. That's what I was gonna say. I was
0: like, <laughs> I know that there there are more questions you want to ask, so yes, fire away. So as you can see, we were running out of time because she had to go get to her acting class, and so part two on her podcast is her interviewing me, and it's really good. We get into some of the business stuff, and she got really personal with me, and I ended up talking about some things that I don't ordinarily talk about in public, so you should go and check out her podcast. If you're interested at all in what the rest of the conversation sounded like, you should check it out. She's really good at interviewing, and her approach is um, its very warm so the michelle mcmahon show that's her podcast if you just search it you'll find it i will be there she has talked to some of the 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 biggest people in the sports business for sure and i think that you'll dig her podcast like she just had a great episode with eric legrand i know the daniel carcillo episode was really good too her episode with heidi watney and, of course, the episode with me, which is where you would go to have part two of this conversation. Go so, so, go seek her out, subscribe to her podcast, and listen to my episode. Let me get to your emails. This is from Steve. Steve says, Lawrence, love the pod. Been listening since the launch. Pod questions, but not really to answer on the pod unless you want. Do you record... Your podcast in the studio. If not, what is your home mobile setup? Just off the shelf mics and a laptop. Two, would you ever expand your personal brand of podcast? The model you've built could work in other professions. Maybe it's not interesting and wouldn't work, but it seems like there's an opportunity for House of L for a House of L brand with other Chicago professions interviewed on other pods. Maybe that's a weird question, but I've been thinking about it for a bit now. So I thought I'd shoot you a message. All right. Well, first of all, Steve, those are great questions. Number one, I try to do it in the studio when I can. Um, the score has been really nice. Mitch Rosen has been really nice about letting me. If it's off hours, you know, and no one's using a studio that I can use it. Like I recorded the, the Tim Hardaway interview in the studio. And the same thing with Michelle. We talked in the score studio. But I have the capability of doing it at home and I might do that in 2020 like starting in 2020 I might do that with um I have I wouldn't say off the shelf but yeah I would I mean I started out with USB mics but I was having a really hard time mixing the mic so if you go back and listen to the Jason Benetti episode like episode 1 we're on one mic and I didn't like that So I bought a, I have a, what's called a Neewer board. It's just a little teeny tiny portable board that I can use. And I I use XLR mics at home. So I usually now do the front and back at home. Now that I have a mixing board and I use uh, Adobe Audition. And that'll, I'm sure change and morph as the years go on with the podcast, like, that sort of thing. I I prefer to have people in studio because I think that the conversations are better when you're face-to-face. But the way that I have it set up now, honestly, I could, I could do... I'm actually thinking about making the podcast more House of L, literally. Like, inviting people to my house and sitting in the living room and just talking and see if that... Like, that's... Honestly, I'm trying to get hood on the podcast. And I think that's probably how we would do it. You know, if I sit down with Matt or like I'd invite him to the house. I wouldn't say meet me at the studio, like that sort of thing. That's a good question. The second question about expanding. I am. um, I'm trying to do that. I've been asked in a couple of educational situations. I've done some consulting with a couple of places already. Um, I don't want to put their business out there, but I've I've consulted on educational institutions that aren't mine, meaning uh, meaning DePaul, about doing some stuff, and we'll see where it goes. I will tell you that there are going to be episodes in 2020 of House of L that I host, but I don't interview. I'm you know, I've already reached out to a couple people. Um, Layla Rahimi and I have talked about her doing an episode. Uh, There's an episode with Sierra that I want to do that I think is out of this world, like an idea. We just have to kind of pin down, like, what what would it look like? What would it sound like? And the guys from It's the Bigs, uh, Gene McIntosh and and Terrence Tomlin, I want to do something with them because I think those guys are, are really, really, really creative. And there's a couple other people that I'm thinking about giving the podcast to, but as far as taking the brand and doing it with other um, industries, I I think that there's the possibility of doing some stuff like that. It's just a matter of trying to find the time because at this point I have four podcasts and I think there's going to be a fifth one added next year. So we'll see, but that's a, a really insightful question that you asked and it is something that I'm looking at going forward but I appreciate it if you'd like to email the podcast if you have a question house of L podcast at gmail.com again that's house of L podcast at gmail.com this one's from Marco Marco says hey Lawrence I'm Marco I'm a truck driver and I very much enjoy listening to your podcast I have a few favorites but I enjoy them all sometimes I even pass up my exit and <laughs> I get so caught up in them man that is a that is a high compliment Marco I really appreciate that. Here are my requests for the future. Mark Greco, Ronnie Fields, and Val from uh, Windy City Live and Tia from Leon Rogers' show. Val and I have been texting back and forth. We are hopefully going to do something over the next couple of months. I also want to get Ryan Shiverini on from Windy City Live. And the guy that produces that show, or at least he used to, now he kind of runs all of content all of non-news content for abc7 matt knutson's a really interesting guy and tia and leon leon is uh, one of my favorites i think he's one of the funniest dudes in radio and i'm hopeful that we can we can get together and and have him on the podcast because i think the guy is absolutely brilliant but i like your suggestions and the ronnie fields one i, I hadn't thought about that I hope you enjoyed the Tim Hardaway one because we talked a ton of Chicago basketball on that one. But I thank you very much. And, again, I really do want to get you guys' voices on the podcast. So if you're going to email houseoflpodcasts at gmail.com, just send me an audio file. Just, just do your voice recorder and send it to the email, and then I can put the audio into the podcast. That's what we're trying to do. House podcast at gmail.com that's the way that, that we get down alright big thanks to Michelle McMahon she was terrific and like I said part two of the episode is on hers the Michelle McMahon show is the name of her podcast I'm going to be on there so you go over there you can listen to the rest of our conversation I thank you for all the support uh, for everyone happy Hanukkah Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa I'm going to take a little break Although we'll have a fresh podcast on Monday But I'm not going to be on the radio or TV for the rest of the week I can tell you that much Enjoy yourselves, stay out of trouble I'll talk to you next week i got a great guest next week too It's going to be so fun Peace